Hello and welcome. Another episode of Steel Fur Speaks with, of course, me, Steel Fur. Let's get this mic nice and close to my face, fresh off the Krakow uh, casting, where we obviously were casting that. There will be links to that below if you want to take a look at everything we've been doing there. Let's just adjust this camera a little bit so I'm a bit more visible right there. Um, I have lots of notes for this episode. You can see I have my little post-it note here. Uh, first things to start off with. Um, obviously, you'll see a small bit of a change to the channel in that I have my Twitter down below and I have a Patreon also to the right. Uh, no followers on Patreon yet. That is perfectly fine. Uh, some people will have known if they've listened to the end of my episode, I have had a coffee page for a while. Um, I still have that. There are a few people on there who maybe will move over to Patreon or still be supported through that. I'll be posting content on both sites for a while, but I did decide to set up a Patreon. Um, I've met a few people who suggested they might want to support my channel, so I wanted to create an easy way for them to do that. Um, I also do have a Discord, um, which I set up last week. Uh, the primary purpose of that Discord is just to have a bit of a chat. Um, whenever a something like Fab 2.0 gets announced, I get messages from lots of different people. Um, and I kind of just wanted to be able to say, well, look, why don't you come into the Discord and then save myself from having to repeat myself, which I was finding I was doing um, to quite a few people in, in a few different locations. This way, it's all in the same place and there can be an active community discussion rather than just me and, and one person talking one-to-one -one about my thoughts. Although obviously, I do that as well, but, you know, makes it things a bit easier. I will also be playing games there. Um, this is going out, I think, on... Friday or Thursday evening. I'll be playing games there this Saturday at 7 o'clock, 7.30 uh, UK time, which is 2.30 uh, uh, Eastern time. Uh, with anyone really who wants to come along, I'll just be playing some some CC with anyone who really wants to play and just talking about the game and, and things like that. So if you want to join the Discord, do. It's open to everyone. Um, I don't really believe in siloing it off. I may have to do that at some point if people come in and cause trouble, but we're going to not... Um, create mischief for myself that isn't uh you know if it happens it happens uh obviously if you are a supporter on either patreon or ko-fi you will get a uh special role and a special channel to ask questions to me directly and there's also going to be a once a month sort of live q a about the game state of the game uh various things that have happened with anyone who supports me that wants to just come in and ask me questions about what's going on uh what i'm seeing in terms of metas game development all those kind of things so um if that's the sort of thing you're interested in those are channels for you to engage more with me um and really you know an opportunity for me to diversify and grow the types of content and the ways that i'm giving content out to people beyond just videos there's a lot of you don't realize this but i actually do write for a living i write reports analysis I've, i write a lot of articles and stories i can write very well i prefer to do video um primarily because this is a side gig and the last thing you want to do after spending like an entire day writing reports and things like that is come out of that and then turn into making you know a a written piece of re uh, reporting or something on a card game uh, so i prefer to talk to people and kind of mix things up but there are days when actually i spend the majority of the day on a call and at the end of that day i'd really like nothing else than just to sit down and write so if you do subscribe to my ko-fi or my patreon you will start to see more written articles uh when i have a bit more energy and stuff to do that and i'll take suggestions of topics and things you'd like me to cover in there and that's perfectly fine um the other of course thing just to talk about is that i obviously just got back from krakow where i was one of the casters that was a fantastic experience and we're going to talk a bit about sort of the meta i think 
uh, before we start talking about Fab 2.0. Obviously, that's a big announcement for this episode. So the meta was like 30% Viscerai and 10% others. Like, it's really, really skewed towards Viscerai at the moment. Um, and the reason for that is simply that Viscerai's damage seems to have been designed for CC in mind. But one of the things about Flesh and Blood that makes it quite difficult, and I think a lot of people underestimate the extent to which this affects Blitz, is that um, the lines are the same. So if a deck can do like a 40 damage explosive turn in CC, it can do that in Blitz as well. The only real question is how much setup does it need? Because if you've got something like Combo Bolton that takes, you know, <coughs> that takes um, six or seven turns or four turns, however many turns, like four or five turns to get online, then obviously whether or not it works in Blitz depends on whether or not a Blitz deck that's more aggressive can kill it before that combo goes off. When you're talking at someone like Viscerai, who can go from 0 to 30 damage in a single turn, like we saw in the finals of Krakow, then you have a big problem, which is the explosiveness of the CC deck is the same in Blitz, but it just doesn't really have any of the life pool, um, you know, the life pool survivability that you obviously get from a format with a higher life total. So that's a, it's a really big problem, and I think for that reason, we will either see some aggressive bans for Viscerai in the next uh, update. Um, but I will also say there is a new sort of potential solution on the horizon. So if we think about Living Legend, and this is kind of important, so Living Legend hasn't really been updated yet in a while, but um, it has had the points from Krakow added. Um, let's just get that up here. Okay, so... Um, if we scroll on here, now obviously everyone knows where Stavro is right now. We're just looking at him trying to see if he's going to win uh, the calling in Taiwan next week and then the battle hardened in Taiwan. And there's a few other things going on that could get him living legend. I think most people have agreed that that kind of needs to happen. Uh, there's a very interesting question which we're going to tackle in a video I'm going to record uh, probably tomorrow, just dealing with the CC meta at the moment for the Steel First Supremacy playlist, um, which will look at the meta um, for CC prior to the bans on May the 2nd and of course then if they don't make any changes on May the 2nd that will be the list that we were going to have to see but if we look at Blitz we'll see that after essentially gaining 100 points from winning the calling as we have it up here the calling is 100 points we see that Viscerai has shot up to 195 points and overtaken Ira who was obviously the best for one season two about three seasons maybe and old him who was pretty good for two seasons as well um, and we do see that has happened the one thing I will say and it has been suggested to me that not all the points yet from the global skirmishes that happened the same weekend as Krakow and that are happening I think this weekend I don't think the skirmish season is entirely over has been added yet and there is the suggestion that Viscerai could potentially get another say 50 to 100 points from those if not more someone has suggested that there were about 50 or 60 skirmishes happening this weekend and if Viscerai won them all he would be on 495 points or sorry 395 points and then, of course, we have the Battle Harden coming up as well. Um, so there is, you know, there is a bit of a question hovering at the moment as to where Viscerai is going to end up at the end of this season in terms of Living Legend for Blitz. 
he may actually be gone. And if that's the case, and if it looks like that's going to be the case, then I would support LSS making no changes to Viserai, just letting him be living legend. Um, I obviously, I like Viserai, so I'd be very upset if he went, but I could equally understand. Because we're in a position here, and I think this is the point where a lot of people need to pause for a second. Um, so you're LSS, you've designed this system for balance in the game, and we know that, you know, the original, so people said, oh, living legend isn't meant for balance. That's not what James White said in his interview we need to clarify that up you know he said that that particular one particular instance he thought living legend wasn't suitable for balance but the majority of the time living legend is a balancing tool for heroes that are stronger than others for a significant period of the lifespan of the game and it removes those heroes from the agenda so it's important to remember that it is a balancing tool um and i think if you've created this tool right you really want to get into a position where you're justifying the tool that you created and proving that it works to remove problematic heroes from the metagame. But also, you know, how long is it fair for a hero to have their time in the spotlight before they get banned or adjusted? I think that's a big question people kind of haven't really answered to themselves yet. So Viserai comes in in one skirmish season, and because of the power and the number of people who are playing in the world now, the number of skirmishes that are happening, he goes from pretty far down, I think he was down here somewhere, up to first in the space of two months. Now, is two months too long a time to think that it's fair for a hero to be top of the game, right? How long should an ideal meta last? That's a big question, right? Because the time in between set releases... For Flesh and Blood, they release three sets a year, so it's usually about four to five months, depending on shipping delays, which means that if a hero comes out really strong from a set, then we're looking at a four to five month meta where that hero is on top of their game, assuming the meta doesn't shift and some other deck that counters that is discovered. And we have seen some decks being somewhat good against Viserai in Blitz, but eventually not winning out because of a certain bit of variance in the format, including Kano and Icelander. But obviously Viserai is more favoured, you know, it's one of those things where Kano and Viserai, ca Kano and Icelander can beat Viserai, but if they play five Viserais in a row, they might lose one of those games, which means obviously in a tournament where 30% of the field is Viserai, you might have the Icelander not making the final, not winning, right? Because even if you're favoured in a matchup, you're not probably like 80, 90, 100% favoured, you might even be 60%, which means you're going to lose that matchup plenty of times as well. So that's important to understand, right? Unless a significant number of people shift to playing that hero that is favoured, Viserai doesn't go anywhere. And the reason that Viserai won't go anywhere from the meta is because he is more powerful, more consistent than the other heroes. And part of that is just that due to the addition of very, very good Runeblade cards in Arya, uh, sorry, in Everfest, he has a much deeper card pool than other people because he's gotten all the cards that were given for Briar, he's gotten all the cards that were given for Chain, and he's finally also got all the cards that were given for Runeblades in Everfest as well. So he's had a lot more sets of cards to add up to. But that power level of Viserai um, and the unlikelihood that he is brought back in at this point by anyone else means that essentially there needs to be a pathway to remove Viserai from the game after a certain amount of time has passed that he is the, like, the best hero, for example. And you kind of need to determine and decide what that is. So if we think about Viserai as, as the best hero, 
we have to also then look at the four months in between set releases and see what is happening from a competitive standpoint, right? Because one of the things I think a lot of people who play this game and other games as well um, forget is that casual environments... Blitz is a casual environment. Don't get confused about that. Um, casual environments are self-policing, okay? If you have a player that is showing up with Viscerai every week to your Blitz armory, winning every single thing, taking all of the promos, making everyone else not want to play or not want to show up, the store owner or the tournament organizer is perfectly entitled to have a conversation with that player and say, hey, can you maybe not bring Viscerai this time? Or can you switch it up a bit? Or can you do something to make it more interesting? Or change the format to draft or sealed or something where that Viscerai player cannot bring that deck and cannot dominate the format and other players have a chance to breathe and be better, right? They have that possibility. And I will tell you that at my own local armories, when people aren't practicing for something like the calling in Krakow, they are playing decks that are random, fun, enjoyable. I myself have brought random combo decks, Katsu combo decks, like whatever, to an armory because I don't care if I win all the time. Like my goal for armories literally is to win one armory a month, right? I want to win one armory a month. I want to get the cold foil promo. And then I'm very, very happy for anyone else to win an armory the rest of the month, right? So I, if I win once a month, I'm not going to be trying to win that hard for the next three weeks, whatever the format is, right? Unless there's a big event coming up. Like, obviously, for the Pro Tour, I'm not taking a crappy deck to my armory because that's bad testing time for me. I may as well just stay at home and test the deck I actually plan on playing with my friends on, on Tabletop Simulator. So... You know, it's very important that, that Blitz at a casual level is self-policing. Blitz at a competitive level is a bit difficult, right? Because obviously if the power level is um, not checked by some sort of bad list or something, you will have people competing to win. And we did see that a bit in the south, south, southeast of England, where one player won four of the armories with Viserai. Uh, sorry, four of the skirmishes with Viserai. And he did that mostly because he was practicing for Krakow, right? So he wanted to get the reps with the Viserai deck, uh, basically so that he would have the best chance of winning um, at Krakow. But if if Krakow hadn't been happening when it was, the likelihood is he wouldn't have gone to four armories, uh, sorry, four skirmishes, and he wouldn't have done that kind of level of, I need to win this. Because already, and already we're seeing this, and this is part of the goal um, between making um, RTNs and ProQuest's um, ELO events, and making um, skirmishes stay as XP events, is that a lot of people, um, you know, aren't going to be as keen to go and spike. Uh, so spiking is, those of you less familiar, is just bringing the best deck possible to a tournament in the hopes of winning. Um, but it's usually used in terms of bringing a deck that is higher than the power level of the format that you're going to play. So spiking an event is... You know, you know it's a casual event, but there's a prize you want to win. No one is bringing an optimal deck, but you bring literally this best deck tested ever because you want that prize. So you're going to show up and just beat everyone. Um, and it's usually got negative connotations in terms of people doing it just to get that best prize and not really caring if people don't like them or aren't happy with the uh, solution, like aren't happy or enjoying the games that were played against them. So that's just important to consider. Um, and... But people are doing this all over the world because Skirmish hasn't yet reached that point where people aren't casual about it. 
and I think it will at some point. I think we will get to a point. I know certainly I'm only going to one skirmish because I have to book aside more weekends to practice for the Pro Tour. And therefore, I don't really feel like I want to spend that chunk of my year that accounts for, you know, how much time do I have to play Fab this year? How many weekends? How much money can I spend traveling for Fab this year? I want to put that towards Pro Quests and Road to Nationals. I don't want to put that towards Skirmishes. I was very happy to make that decision and only go to my local Skirmish and not try and win any of the other ones. So I think that's a good place to be in. I think we'll start to see a lot more people making that decision um which is good which i genuinely think is good because skirmish then becomes a more self-balancing casual format but before this skirmish season we obviously had this problem of viscerai being overpowered and i will say that you know i wasn't going into it on the official cards because obviously i don't want to talk about heroes being overpowered i want to celebrate the wins of the people who've practiced really hard and come to the tournament and the guy who won came from america but i do think viscerai is overpowered for the blitz format I do kind of feel like he should have been addressed already. But I do, and this is this is very important, and, and this kind of comes back to the CC discussion as well, which is why I'm spending so much time on this in this episode, is that Living Legend exists to remove heroes from the meta and to keep the meta changing and to keep it fresh, right? And that's very important. So the, the, the way that Flesh and Blood is made, the meta is only fresh really when a new set comes out or when a hero rotates and even when a new set comes out it's very hard like like say we got a new rune blade in the next set now i don't think we will but say we did it would be very very hard for that rune blade to compete with viscerai briar chain and all the other strong rune blades that already exist because those will get access to cards from the new set as well which they could use to augment their own style so the only way that these OG heroes get, you know, an advantage or get, sorry, get, get replaced, sorry, is by getting that living legend status. And I think LSS knows this and they, they don't want to keep banning heroes that are a month away from going away anyway, if that makes sense. So the main reason that you don't touch Starvro at all before the Pro Tour, and whether they will or they won't, is up in the air is that you want Starvro to get Living Legend and go away, right? And that's kind of important. And the same thing for Viscerai, right? So if Viscerai, remember this is updated on the April of the 11th. So if, if Viscerai gets the week four skirmishes and gets another 150 points or however many he gets, um, then we're going to be in a situation where he's only 50 points away from Living Legend. And then if he starts to win sort of the side events, the battle hardens and things, he may just find himself Living Legended out of Blitz. And that actually, in my mind, is an ideal situation for LSS because it creates room for Briar, Chain, and the other aggro decks to come in without Viscerai just sitting around as like a neutered version of himself. So kind of like what we saw when Chain had those bands in CC. He's just sitting here on 550 points. He hasn't really gotten any. He hasn't really had any big wins. Um... And that's because people kind of stopped playing him after the ban. So now Chain is still in the game in the same powerful um, position that he was before. And really all that Chain is waiting for is something that's going to break him again, right? 
which isn't really a solution to the negativity of the chain problem, right? And I classify the chain problem very simply as I find personally, I think chain's hero ability is far, far too much value in a game where most people are only drawing, say, four cards a turn. One of the reasons we see Viscerai being so strong in in Blitz is his ability to draw multiple cards a turn, and that really warps the game in his favour. The same thing was true of Chain, the ability to draw many cards. I would prefer a game where I don't have to worry about Chain being broken, or make sure I'm always testing Chain whenever a new set comes out that gives him cards, just to see if it breaks him again. I'd much rather if broken heroes were allowed to naturally drift out of the meta, even if that means we have to play with that format for like another two or three big tournaments or another week or another month or something. I don't think a month of a meta is actually that big of a deal, right? That makes sense. In terms of the lifespan of the game, that'll just be the month where Starbro kicked all of our asses, right? And, you know, I think that's important. And that's kind of where I end up on the, on this whole point is would you ban Starbro even if he didn't get the Living Legend points for the Pro, Pro Tour? No, I wouldn't. Would you ban Starvo's cards before then? Again, I wouldn't. I would go into that tournament and I would prepare the casters that I would expect everyone, you know, I'd expect 30 to 40% of the field to show up playing Starvo. And I would just be like, okay, this is a big tournament. Starvo is going to come in and hit it up. But after that, he's gone. Like, after that, he's absolutely gone. And then it's his kind of like his last hurrah. So the first Pro Tour will be when Starvro crushes everyone. But then he's gone and the meta can shift. Now, what the meta looks like after Starvro is gone, that's something that everyone's debating at the moment. And obviously, you know, we can't say for sure what's going to happen until the 2nd of May. But obviously, none of the testing groups, uh, you know, obviously... Um, you know, there are lots of testing groups of my own as well. None of them are doing nothing for the next two weeks. We're discussing constantly what we think is likely to get banned, what we think is likely to get hit. You know, you're testing different versions of decks where one card is taken out, other cards aren't to see where the power level is. And then you're asking the question, what beats, you know, X, what beats Y? Um, and that's all fairly standard sort of playtesting practice. But if you're wondering what people are doing in these two weeks, it's a lot of talking. Uh, but also a lot of games, a lot of how strong is Viscerai if they ban Skeleta, how strong is Viscerai if they ban X, how strong is Viscerai if they ban Y, how strong is, um, you know, what does the meta look like if you just can't play Starvro, if I don't have to worry about that. There's loads of discussions going on. So that's happening, but I think, I think we've reached a point in the game where enough heroes are getting livid legend points and getting them fast enough. And I, I will say that I know it's unpleasant maybe to play in what I might consider to be a broken meta for a month. And that's really the goal of LSS should be to do more playtesting so that doesn't happen. But I think when it does happen and there are enough events going on that someone can get living legend points, I think it's actually much better for the health of the game in the long term if they're just let to get those living legend points. And then we move on to the next hero the next month and see what happens then. I feel like constantly banning things and keeping heroes around, but at a weaker power level, unless they get something broken, is just an unpleasant experience for a lot of people. Uh, and I just think it's not really, you know, practical or fun in, in any sort of meaningful way. So um, I feel like, yeah, I just feel like Living Legend needs to be allowed to happen now. Um, and we need to actually get some movement in terms of what heroes are playable. Because I think if you if you do let Viscerai Living Legend, Blitz becomes very different. We see sort of a bit of a regression 
towards our Iras, a bit of Lexi coming in, a bit more old him coming in. You know, I think there's going to be a nice bit of a shift. Um, and it might just be that we need to get, you know, one or two heroes living legend in before things start to settle down. Um, but this isn't a computer game. You can't just patch it overnight and expect it to work. You do have to work with the cards that we have. And, you know, it's a lot better to let the system that people were warned about, um, living legend people, because it, than, than to do it quickly. And the, the main reason for that is just in terms of like, people are getting into this game every week. People are picking up heroes every week. And the Living Legend system lets us telegraph and know, like about a month or two in advance, which heroes are a bit overpowered and going off the game. And that lets us steer new players away from them. Um, like if you had a new player who was buying into the game now and they were like, oh, I want to play Starvro, you might be like, mm, mate, why don't I just lend you the cards for a month? And then when he's gone, you can play something else. You might not let them go out and buy that crowd of seeds, um, etc. Viscera is a bit different because they might just end up playing Briar um, or something like that. But you might still say, look, do you really want to play a Rune Blade um, if, these if this guy gets banned? Do you just like Viscerai uh, and not Briar and Chain? If that's the case, then maybe don't do that. There's also a big question in my mind. Um, and we keep talking about the way that this is done. And I kind of just want to finish off this segment talking about living legend um on this topic um is just what happens when um sorry what happens when a hero gets living legend and i think this is an area where i'd really like lss to start providing some clarity um i think it's a really big challenge for me as a player who's thinking okay someone new wants to invest in the game or people are trying to move into new heroes and explain to them explain to them that that hero might not be playable anymore i think we need to know from lss and if any of them are listening you can reply to me directly on this if you want to i don't really mind just twitter me whatever um you you know what is the actual plan for replacing heroes when they get living legend right is it a case of you know, only talented heroes get replaced. So, you know, if Viscerai goes because we have two other Rune Blades that can play Rune Blade cards, we don't really need to worry about replacing Viscerai. You're only losing two specialization cards from the game. The rest of the cards are playable. Is that going to be what happens, right? Um, or is it important to you to keep every hero playable, um, including their specialization cards, for the long term, right? that's that's the first important question i think to ask so is it a case of if there are enough people class um, adult heroes of that class you won't do anything immediately because there will be another way for that to replace itself right um you don't need to replace it sorry because you have two other heroes of that class who can play the majority of the cards or are we in a situation where you want someone like say viscerai to always be able to be played in a way that feels like Viscerai, e.g. with Rune Chants rather than Briar and Chain who focus on other things. And you always want a Rune Chant focused Rune Blade because otherwise cards like Read the Runes, um, I'm not going to say Revel because that's always a good card, uh, but otherwise cards like Read the Runes, uh, Oath of the Arknight, all of these things become a bit redundant, right? So do you always want to have a Rune Blade focused, a Rune Chant focused Rune Blade? And what's your time frame then for replacing it? I think this is the main thing. So what several people, I've, I've pitched this, and I think this is like, this is the most practical suggestion if they want to immediately make 
playable uh, replacement for the hero that gets banned, right? Living Legend, as I said, is a very good system because it telegraphs who is getting banned long before they actually get to that stage of the Living Legend, right? So you kind of know a month or two in advance, and it's usually quite predictable. If they don't get banned, they usually do keep climbing. Maybe they slow down a bit when a new uh, set comes out, but they, they do keep somewhat climbing, as we've kind of seen with Chain and Prism here. They've still got some points this season. They're not as much, obviously, as Starbro, but if Starbro wasn't around, they probably would have got a few more points um, than they currently have, right? So... If your goal is to keep the cards that were playable in one deck playable in another deck, right? That means that you need to replace the hero that goes with a similar but less powerful ability than you had before. Which means, and then it's just a question of speed, right? So I suggested that essentially if they're worried about losing players because their favorite hero has been banned, so Viserai, for example, favorite hero goes away with Living Legend, then what they're going to do is actually release a print-and-play version of a new Viscerai that you can print and play with as a token and then just send a load of them out to stores um, to give away to people who want them and then put it in the next supplemental set, right? So that you get Viscerai in the next supplemental set and everyone's happy. Um, and I already think we're going to be seeing adult versions of the new Rhinar and Dorinthia in the new supplemental set that's coming at the end of this year. I think one of the reasons that it's a supplemental set is that they want to give us uh, some alternative versions of a lot of different classes. Um, I have a bit more speculation about that, but I, but I essentially think we're reaching a point where they might have expected, because remember the Living Legend system was different before, that some of the heroes like Dorinthia and Rhydar, some of the OG heroes, might have Living Legend already, and we're starting to see the replacement Living Legend versions of those cards which are being used in the young versions for classic battles um, but will be released in the adult versions in the supplemental set at the end of this year that would be quite a clean solution which means as well that when we see the next classic battle set come out it could have our replacement viscerai in and then we could get the adult version in the set at the end of the year Right, But what you do in the meantime is you just put up a print-and-play token that people are allowed to print out on a sheet, slide into a sleeve, and take to a tournament. And it does something weaker than Viscerai's ability with rune chance. Like, you know, it might be... But the thing is, it might even be a very similar ability, but it just says, you know, whenever you play a rune blade attack action after you have played a non-attack action, you generate one rune chant, right? Which means it's still good on some turns, but not as good on other turns. Or some other variation, right? I'm talking about a slightly depowered version of what currently exists. Or they might go crazy and do something completely new and random, but that's the less safe option because if people don't like it, you're not adding something that people will find useful to the game. You're adding something different and hoping that the players who currently have all those cards enjoy that new archetype. <coughs> I'm kind of fine with either, but I do want transparency on their plans because, for example, if they come out and clarify that the second that Viscerai hits Living Legend, for example, or Starbro hits Living Legend, they will be releasing a print-and-play hero that can continue to play all of Viscerai's cards, then I have no qualms saying to a new player, invest in Viscerai, you like him, he's not going to go anywhere, there'll be a new version if this one goes away, um, and just say, you know, carry on, have fun, right? Even if he's not as strong, that's 
power is not what I'm telling new players to take heroes up based on, right? If you're a super competitive player, you're going to be asking me, what's the top tier hero? If I say Viserai right now, I'll say it with a caveat, but he might get changed in two months. And as a competitive player who's got experience with card games, you're going to say, okay, I'm going to take that risk because this big tournament's coming up, or I'm not going to take that risk because there's no big tournaments to play him in. I'll just wait and see what the meta is like then. You know, and you'll make different decisions. But if you're a new player, it doesn't matter to you whether the hero is the strongest in the game anymore. It just matters to you whether the hero is playable. And that's the sort of, that's why I think this is a great area that LSS should start to give clarity on um, as soon as possible, which is what is their plans for when these heroes actually hit Living Legend. Are we going to get a new elemental Bravo as a token that we can play um, in the meantime um, with, uh, you know, with a depowered ability? Are we just going to be forced to play old Bravo instead because he can play all the same cards except the elemental ones? And is the same true then of someone like Viserai? Because obviously Bravo, star of the show, can play all of Bravo's specialization, so none of those cards are unplayable. But the same is not true of Viserai and become the Arknight, and Arknight Ascendancy will not be playable until there is a new version of Viserai as a specific um, card. And I think it would just be a good to understand, I think this is my last just sort of comment, is just for LSS to tell us their plans on that. Are people going to have to wait to get a new Viserai that they can play because that does have a big impact on not only new players, but people who have a favorite hero like Viserai, who just want to go to a local armory and play Viserai. And they're not really so, like, as a casual person, you don't really care so much about the power level. You just care about having those cards playable. So that would be a really good place to get some clarity on from the game. But otherwise, Living Legend, I think, is a really good idea. So we're going to talk just a bit now. Um, let's go and talk just a little bit about Fab 2.0. There's obviously been hundreds of articles already on um fab 2.0 and i think it's kind of just you know worth addressing for a minute um you know because i have my own two cents really on the whole thing as of course you would expect given you all know how talkative i am at this point so obviously let's start off with the um you know just the overall takeaways on the article um this article was fantastic there were very few things in this I actually disagreed with. Um, I think this is a really good article. There are one or two areas where I don't think it went nearly far enough. Um, but I have to say, I think this is brilliant. So on Retiring First and Unlimited, it, it's amazing. It's perfect. Um, this, the boxes and stuff are still going to be worth something. They're still not going to print an unlimited amount of this set or any set. And much like we see with Magic, as the player base grows... And as the time goes by, anyone who's buying these boxes as an investment will probably get rewarded in some way because the sets do go up in value um, as time goes by, as new players join the game. Um, you can't really escape from the fact that, as, you know, especially if something is a draft set as well, right? Um, people are always going to want to draft it, even for nostalgia. Like if we buy a load of Uprising and I put a case or two cases in my cupboard, I have a case of most um, most of the sets that have come out while I've been playing. Not any Alpha or, um, or Arcane Rising or Crucible. But once I started playing the game and started being able to buy boxes at retail, I have started putting a case aside. And if I find a draft set really, really fun, I'm going to do what I, what I did with draft sets before. I'm going to take a case of it. I'm going to put it in my shelf. And then in you know five or six years' time, I'm going to call up my mates and be like, hey, do you want to do a draft of this set? We haven't drafted it in years. I think it'll be really fun. And we'll go and we'll draft and it'll be really great. So the fact is that those those sets, these sets are always going to be worth 
something in the long term. So people could still buy them as an investment. It will still keep those cards going off the shelf. But the main thing is that who the... Sorry, let's not swear. I was about to swear there. Um, as people will know, I don't like swearing on my stream. Um, partly because did you you may not know this, but YouTube allows you to um f bombs or swear words on your stream before you get um the video demonetized but i just don't i just don't like swearing so um i will say that like who really cares right even if this box doesn't go up in value at all now it will because you have principles of arbitrage if it's a draft set people are going to be drafting that set opening boxes and drafting it for like six months the number of boxes that are unopened and not drafted with will always go down um but who, who also, who cares? As long as there is enough product without the FUD and the confusion that we've seen around the first edition launches of Monarch and Aria and all these other things where stores could be like, oh, I'm going to get heavily allocated. Therefore, this box is worth $600 where Channel Fireball, um, you know, could do their thing of putting up the prices because maybe they thought they were going to get allocated. Who really knows the details? And pushing the price up super high. Like, who cares? If that can't happen now, because, you know, two, three hundred, four hundred, however many thousand boxes we need are going to be printed every set, and people are just going to get this set on the first day and they're going to open it. Now, I will say there are some negatives, um, because, of course, the new um, set remove it, removes um, the split between, cold for, uh, between first and unlimited, which means both cone foil and rainbow foil equipments come in the same box, which means I who have quite enjoyed collecting cold foil equipment sets from sets that came out while I was playing uh, by buying a load of first edition at retail, will not be able to do that because three times rarer for cold foils. So I'm not going to get as many cold foil legendaries. I'm going to have to work harder in terms of buying singles and trading to get the cold foil legendaries I need for those favorite heroes I want. Like if they put out a druid, I'm just going to trade my left arm for all the cold foil heroes for a full set. But I do firmly believe it will be doable. I do firmly believe that I, as a, an average player who's not a big whale, but who does spend a decent chunk of money every set to get a full playset of all the cards, I do think that I will be able to trade and buy my way into some of the cold foils that I want to complete the set that I'm interested in, right? And I'm not going to go all the way. Like, I don't have a cold foil fable from... Um, from Everfest, because I'm just not that interested in it. I don't think it's a good card. I'm, I'm just not that keen, so I just didn't get one. Um, and, you know, I much preferred the cold foil um, locations, landmarks, that I do to the gems. I know I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a horrible, sacrilegious person, and lots of people disagree with me. But let's just say that that's fine. So uh, for a newer, for, for a person who wants to collect a full set of legendary cold foils, it becomes more difficult, right? But for every single other metric, this is the best way to do it. The product is not going to have to be bought at pre-orders in massive numbers because you're afraid of it being allocated. It is going to be able to sit on the shelves for a few months, which means new players can come in and buy it. People can have it for draft. People are going to be drafting. Like, imagine this. Three months after the set comes out, you go into your local store for your draft night, one draft night a month, two draft nights a month. You crack open your boosters and you pull a cold foil fabled, right? Three months after the set comes out. How good is that going to feel? Especially because that cold foil fabled is three times rarer than it is now, right? So it could be worth like pay off your draft for a month. It could do so many things for you, right? How good is that gonna feel? This this set is genuinely gonna feel amazing to open, right? Absolutely amazing to open. And it's got this whole new Marvel 
uh, uh, Marvel Legendary, and they keep talking about making really interesting stuff to put in, and I hope that it's not just these EAs, because I'm actually quite negative on the EA, like Aether Wildfire and things like that, because I feel like the text box is just not transparent enough. Um, I really think they just need to go full hog and make it like a full EA. But also, like, there's nothing really interesting happening in the art at the bottom. I think the only good one that I liked was uh, Knickknack Bric-a-Brac. And that's just because if you look at it, his cat is in the photo at the bottom. And the artist has added in his cat there at the bottom. So it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of just like a cute um, addition to the photo that you couldn't get from somewhere else. Um and you can't see it on the regular full art. So I think that's pretty good. But aside from that, like they need to add, if you're going to make these EA cards, you need to add like Easter eggs underneath the art in there just to make them more interesting than just seeing someone's feet. Because that's the problem with stuff like Aether Wildfire is you just see someone else's feet. So I think this is really, really good, right? Okay, I think it's just fantastic. Okay, and coal foils aren't getting reprinted. That's not changed. What is happening, of course, is this historic. Right, and the history packs are actually really, really good. Um, so this is really, really good. Now, I think it's important to understand a few things. So, firstly, this set is white bordered. Um, I think these look pretty good myself. I know some people don't like them. Uh, that's fine, each to their own. Um, I jokingly did a white-bordered card here for a YouTube short that I was doing. Uh, oh, where's it gone? I had a white-bordered um, belittle here, just as a laugh. Uh, I can't find it. Anyway, um, there's a few things that strike me as interesting as this, and I know some people you know, may not have followed the news as closely as I am, but LSS have said that this product is not going to be like mass-printed in English. Um, I think that's kind of important to acknowledge. Like, it's not going to be a product. They don't expect people to buy cases and cases of this. Um, it's kind of designed, and I've kind of got this impression as well in terms of the pre-orders that I've seen happening in and around my area, is that a lot of established players are buying one box of this just to have, just to open, have a bit of fun with. Um, they're not buying, like, the cases they would have bought of, you know, a new set or something like that. Um, they just want to open it. They just want to see what it's like. And I think that's really important just to acknowledge. So the, the pre-orders for this are going to be a lot less than, say, we get from, um, you know, a new set. And part of that is by design. Like, if you're looking at this as an established player who's got lots of cards and you're saying, this isn't for me, then you're absolutely right. This isn't for you. Um, the goal of this set is very much to sit on the shelf. And I, that sounds bad because I know game stores don't want products sitting on the shelf and people don't really want, um, you know, people don't really want the idea that this product is going to sit on the shelf. They don't want a product that is going to, you know, flop and people aren't going to mass buy it. But actually the, the goal of this product is to sit on the shelf, right? Because you have to remember that on the 25th of May, we have our first proper like deluxe starter product coming out. The heroes of which feature in this set right so if you have your classic battles and you get it off the shelf and you want warrior cards assumedly if they're sold out of wtr and stop shops are slowly selling out of wtr then you are not going to be able to buy that you need to buy this history pack and you're going to get these history packs and it's going to show you some of the other classes that you could try out as well and give you the tools for playing like rune blade maybe and give you a chance at some of these legendaries so i think it's really good that this pack 
is not one that's going to sell out straight away. Hopefully it does. You know, every store has a couple of boxes or a couple of cases sitting on a shelf for players to buy packs from when they're picking up their new starter packs. And I know that we're going to run a, a new player event with those um, new player starter pit packs as well, which is going to be kind of fun. So I think that's kind of important because no one that you speak to thinks that this classic battles Rhinar versus Dorinthia set is the only one that's being done this year, right? People know that they're going to do more of these. We're going to have Rhinar versus Dorinthia. We might have Katsu versus Bravo, but I'd be kind of surprised on that because I don't think that's a really fun out-of-the-box experience. But I think we might see a Viserai versus, um, you know, someone else, uh, maybe, as a kind of like an alternative. Maybe a Viserai versus Azalea as a chance to get a new Azalea into the... Um, you know, into uh, the set. So to give um, to give uh, Visser, uh, Azalea a new lease of life with a new hero ability. We could see that coming out this year. And this product will cover all of those people. And remember as well that this is the only um, history set we're getting. And it's very important to understand this. This is the only history set we're getting until 2024. So the next history set, the one that has Monarch... Uh, Tales and Everfest in is not going to come out until 2024. So for the next two years, new players will have a choice between buying some boosters of this historic set to get the cards they need or buying boosters of the new sets as they come out like Uprising and the latest set coming out this year. That will be the new player entry pathway into the game. And in that context, it is good to have this available. The other thing I will say is I have a feeling this is going to be a really fun set for Shapeshifter. And we're already kind of talking about doing a release event, which will be a Shapeshifter set, uh, where you get six boosters and you have to build any deck you want. That could be really fun with these boosters that have cards from all of these sets. That would be really exciting to see and really exciting to ask questions about is what people are going to be doing and whether we're going to enjoy that. It's also worth understanding that with the addition of these coming out in other countries, so French, German, Italian, Spanish, there will be a lot more singles available on the market. And traditionally, singles in foreign languages have been cheaper from a UK perspective. So a lot of the um, people may find that actually buying card market, you know, Italian and French and German singles may actually be very easily accessible for them. Um, and just the number of cards available in the world to play with goes up as well with the addition of these. So you may find a very robust singles market for old cards is also a solution to new players, right? Because none of the none of the um you know like some of some of the crucible and WTR majestics are starting to go up in price now. And you have a question as to how much should a class majestic cost? Maybe like a fiver, a tenner, depending on how good it is. Um and obviously you've got CNC and E Strike and the outliers there, which obviously need a reprint. But as long as the price of singles stays around the you know you know two to five ten pounds mark for a majestics that actually the singles market can handle the demand for new players on these cards and when it can't people will crack more history packs and get more of those majestics and sell them um remember as well that the the majestic drop rate because they've got rid of the super rare le um, uh, um super rare uh rarity is going to be much, much higher in these packs as well compared to um, compared to uh, the traditional, um, you know, uh, 
the traditional WTR arc and Crucible, which had fairly low majestic drop rates, right? Crucible, the kind of the exception, but the first two sets definitely did. And remember that History Pack 2 is coming out soon in these foreign languages as well, which will further impact the singles market in terms of cards availability. So this is very much a play by LSS to account for the fact that new players are going to be joining the game and they need something to buy and open because opening packs is fun and they have to have something that gives them access to older cards that are now out of print. And if you're saying, I don't want to buy one, that means this product is bad. It, you don't want to buy one and that's why the product is good. The product is good because it hasn't got any stupid chase um, extended arts or anything like that in that's like really desirable to an existing player, which means it flies off the shelves the product is good because it will stay available for a long time and therefore be available to new players for a long time. And that is very, very important. Um, also, in the 2.0, we're really happy to see more talk about investing in lore. I love the lore and the stories and all these other kind of things. Um, I love the classic battle set. It just sounds like it's going to be a really good thing. I have certain worries about it, namely that they have put one of those Majestics in there. And if they release classic battles without a roadmap for when those Majestics become legal in Classic Constructed and also um, a roadmap for when those Majestics are being printed, um, then there are really big, really big mistakes going on there. So, for example, if those Majestics come out in um, this set, they're not available in a supplemental set until the end of this year, then we actually have a really serious problem because I know... Rhydar and Dorinthia players who will buy three of them and split the Majestics between them and will use that to put in their competitive CC deck and there will quickly be no classic battles available on the shelves um, for new players to buy, right? And that completely defeats the purpose of it as it's supposed to be a premium product that sits on the shelf with an LGS and catches the eye of card game players who are walking by saying, hey, what is that? And then they split it with a friend, and it's supposed to be really fun out of the box experience. But also, but 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 to do that, it has to be on the shelf to catch the eye. And I tell you, if they have only put one of these majestics in there, um, then they're setting up a situation where experienced players will buy more than one of these packs. That is a real shame. Whether or not even it's included in the deck, you know, you would really love to see. You get two of the Majestic because it's a Blitz deck in the deck and you get a pack that has one of the Majestic just tacked on the side or one of every new card that isn't being released in another set included in that pack as well just so a new player doesn't feel bad or have to buy a second one to get a play set of the cards to play Classic Constructed. I think that's really important and I think they need to learn the lesson of say android netrunner and all those lcgs that used to print core sets with one of or two of certain special cards and then someone would have to buy three core sets just to get a play set of all the cards that feels really bad and if we've got that with classic battles then i actually feel like we have a pretty serious problem and i'll, I'll say i'll go far enough far i'll say if we have that with classic battles then we have a fundamental flaw um, in the product design that needs to be addressed before the next Classic Battles comes out or the product is just um, going to be a failure. Um, and not a failure in terms of sales, I think that's important to classify, but a failure in terms of doing what it was designed to do um, and in selling to new players, right? Um, 
So really your ideal is that anyone who plays Ryan Orodorinthia as an existing player buys one of these, but that new players have them on the shelves to buy as well. So if it's not doing that, then it's very much failing at its um, its purpose. Otherwise, we see a confirmation that PvE is coming, but obviously, you know, it's going to take them a while to build a new PvE system. I really look forward to that. Uh, we see changes to the UPF rules. Um, I think, and we see Commoner added as an additional format. I will say that I have identified, and this is kind of like the last main segment. Uh, we're going to talk about ELO just a small bit more. But it's kind of like the last main segment before we wrap up um, on the 2.0 announcement. It's just to say that there is a problem in this game in a lot of environments where Blitz is no longer casual enough for new player entry and retention. Okay, at my local store, I noticed this quite a lot. Um, when we're playing Blitz, everyone I know has full legendaries for their class because it's their favorite class. They've tried to build the best deck they can to win that tournament this weekend. Oh. And even if they're playing a meme deck, it's still not what we, a new player, would consider a meme deck or someone would still be able to beat if they were using a Blitz starter or even compete against if they were using a slightly upgraded Blitz starter or something like that. And I do get it. You get the cards, you get the good cards, you want to make your deck better, you want to be able to have a fun experience playing the best cards you can, the best deck you can, but you have to acknowledge that that is not a new player friendly experience because they they don't they shouldn't have to spend that much money to keep up they shouldn't have to spend that much money to even be competitive and not everyone wants to come in to three rounds of swiss on a, on a wednesday night and lose three games in a row because everyone has the legendaries and the shiny cards right that's very very important not everyone wants to do that and we've had a lot of requests for is there a casual night um etc etc especially with the rise of stuff like commander and magic as the default format one of the reasons for that is that you don't have to arrive at a commander event at a specific time. People have very busy lives, so like you don't have to arrive at like 7.30 on the dot to play in a tournament. You can just rock up and find a table when you're there or text ahead and maybe there's other people arriving at the same time as you. And that's actually become really important to a lot of people who are playing card games casually um, and don't want to get super invested, you know, is that they can show up and just play some games. So what I know what we're doing as a store is we're playing some Chaff Goblin. We're making plans to put some Chaff Goblin into our rotation. We're also I'm probably going to end up running a UPF um, weekend event. Um, and we're going to start to do Commoner once a month. And, you know, I know from the very, very start, that my more competitive players are not going to enjoy playing Commoner once a month. And I may have a fall-off in attendance um, that week. But the ability for me to say to a new player who's interested in trying Flesh and Blood, why don't you come out down on Commoner night when we're playing with this sort of list um, and this easier format, everyone's playing with common cards. It's super easy to get in, you know, and... You know, they'll come. They'll come. It's it's just much an easier proposition. And I might even make a rule that if you're coming to Commoner, you can just bring a Blitz starter deck with no changes, and I won't care how many rares are in it, etc., etc., right? Because there are not really many rares in those decks anyway. And I might just make that rule because you're, you know, you're playing with a starter deck, and then I'm just not going to care about it, right? Um, so I think this is a very important acknowledgement, and I'm really happy to see just, you know... Just making more space for casual play in the game um, so that people get in. Because remember that not everyone is competitive. This game, to survive and thrive, needs to appeal to a casual player base who are going to show up and have fun every week, not just to win. Um, and, you know, for example, I could easily see myself running PvE once or twice a month when it comes out. 
and getting a lot of people coming in and trying the competitive version of the game after playing PvE. And I can really see that as being a thorough pathway to the game. And the same for UPF and Commoner once they get off the ground. I can see someone coming to a Commoner event as their first event with a Commoner deck, enjoying the game very, very cheaply, and then turning around and saying, okay, awesome, I would like to play more of this. Right? And it's really important. So just the other few things. I'm not really going to comment much on the Living Legend tied to hero thing. I think this is kind of a misstep. Um, I think that the heroes and the weapons are suitably um, distinct. Um, that, like, for example, ninjas with kadachis will always be good, even without katsu. I don't really think it makes a lot of sense to take the weapons with them. Um, I will say that there are some times where the hero isn't the problem, the weapon is, and I think that might be the case with someone like Dorinthia, uh, where Dawnblade is very strong, but Dorinthia is a bit clanky, especially for new players. Um where if these got Living Legend together, I wouldn't mind. But I think it, I would much prefer if it was done on a case-by-case -case basis rather than just saying every time a hero goes, they take their weapon with them. Um, I can't really imagine ninjas at the moment without Kadachi. So like if Katsu got Living Legend, uh, which he won't, um, it would feel really bad. Um, it's kind of like a double blow to a class that's just had their hero removed. So I'm not really sure how I enjoy it. I will say, however, assuming that they're printing replacements... This is a very, very good way to ch completely change the feel of a hero um, after they have been changed. So it's not just a new type of Katsu with the Kadachis, um, you know, or a new type of Viserai um, with, with, without Nebula Blade. It will change the way the hero plays drastically. Um, so, you know, that is, I think, kind of important to acknowledge that it might actually be better for Living Legend because it will change the environment a lot more but equally i kind of like the idea of just keeping weapons around um i also like the addition of suspend suspension instead of bannings um for the restricted list um i think it's a lot softer to tell people that a class or a card they like is suspended than it is to ban that card um, i think it's going to make people a lot more comfortable uh in terms of hearing that the card is only gone for a month and maybe it gets gone completely when they realize the game is more fun when it's gone but at least if it's only gone for a month you can kind of make your decisions based on that um it is also i think i really good that they have moved um elo down to include battle hardens road to nationals and pro quests um i feel like these are where the competitive players are going and if there is elo on the line they're going to show up to more of them and probably not show up to as many skirmishes and let those be a bit more casual um so, I think it's very, very important to enable that and to give these. And I mean, if you want to quickly, because remember XP for Pro Tours and XP in general um, is a really risky system. Um, and I think if they wanted to quickly, and people are kind of speculating about this because it seems like they've changed um, all of the RTNs and ProQuest events on our gems to be rated events now, but not have any rating currently applied for them. People are currently speculating that they will maybe apply this retrospectively so that they can use ELO for the France ProQuest um, in a way that they haven't done for um, New Jersey. And I think that would actually be really hype because I think the experience grind is a bit grim and I kind of want it gone um, straight away. But also one thing I'm kind of, annoyed maybe sad they didn't acknowledge it here is just like acknowledge the 
danger of the experience grind and how sort of toxic that is and also you know address the fact that you can grind xp in events that happen outside your country uh or happen online i really personally would remove experience for online armories now that covid is starting to wrap up in some countries where it's still there leave it in but um you know the fact is that you shouldn't be able to play in like five online seven online events a week and grind xp that affects nationals and pro tour attendance because it just raises the bar on what is expected from your you know your your dedicated but maybe not you know you know it takes a lot of time and energy to play those that many tournaments and it's kind of like an unreasonable expectation for someone to play in like a national championship to have to grind five armories a week in singapore for example that seems like it's a bit of a, a stretch for that person in the uk to have to do so i was really kind of i was a bit disappointed they didn't address the problems with xp um in this fab 2.0 announcement i really would have liked to see some sort of decision that xp earned outside your country doesn't count or you know xp earned online doesn't count um something like that i think it would be fine to restrict it so that you it's only xp from within your country um, and then people in Singapore could have stupid amounts of experience, but people elsewhere, you know, won't. Uh, but I can also see them just removing XP from online armories completely. Um, that once COVID starts to wrap up in, in other countries and just basically have the goal of, you know, your nationals XP is what you earn playing in person at your local game store. And if you can go to more local game stores, then great. Good for you. Otherwise, you know, just make do with what you do. Um, yeah, the only other thing, of course, is just to acknowledge the quick change to LO, that it's going to be seasonal-based instead of um, um, instead of event-based. I think a lot of people missed this. So what they're saying is that rather than you getting like 100 per calling, 200 per Nats, etc., etc., it's actually just going to be like, here's the national season. We want to give out 600 points in the national season. Um, and then if a hero wins like 50% of nationals, they get 300 points and then you break up the rest based on the win percentage of those. And what that does is stop what has happened to Starvro this season, where the living legend hero goes from zero to a thousand in like two months. They don't want that to happen again. So they're going to be like, well, you can only get 800 points. And if, you know, Starvro wins everything, then he gets 800 or maybe there's a thousand points up for grabs. And then if Starvro wins everything, he gets living legend. But if he doesn't win everything, he doesn't, right? And maybe they're going to break it down that way. We'll have to see how this kind of uh, how this kind of works out. But I think that's just important to acknowledge. And that's all I really have to say about Fab 2.0. So we've covered a lot of ground this episode. Thanks for listening this far. Um, obviously, if you've listened this far, as I always say, you know, if you listen to me talk for an hour, then you definitely should like and subscribe on YouTube. Um, consider joining my Patreon because you have clearly listened to me for a very long time and you clearly enjoy hearing what I have to say and enjoy hearing... Um, the details you know that i go into and you want to talk to me more there are places you can do that um so you know that's a consideration for you as well um that is of course steel first speaks on patreon consider following me on twitter at steel first speaks where i publish updates of all my videos so that you can keep up to date with the latest things without logging on to youtube um and this is also available in podcast form as i've becoming a lot better at uploading my episodes to podcast it is primarily just the steel first speaks main episodes so nothing about the meta or the weird other side episodes i do but if you'd like to hear this just in a podcast form you can go and subscribe i think it's available on itunes uh spotify uh and other some some about three or four other platforms um so if you want to subscribe on that you can um that would be really good 
And that's it, really. Um, otherwise, have a great week. And obviously, we'll come back to you when there's another significant update or next week, if it makes sense, with another episode of Steel First Speaks. Um, as always, I have been Steel First. Have a great week.